I am so incredibly grateful and so proud of my husband. It, you, you have no idea. I just see the Holy Spirit all over Andrew every single day. The way that God is molding him, uh, the way that God is, is healing him. He is really a living miracle. You know, and the funniest thing of it all is that now both of us have an accent to speak English. <laughs> it's just uh, kind of funny, actually, to think about it. I know his won't last. Mine, I'm sorry, you're stuck with it for the rest of my life. <laughs> but, you know, as we discussed what to share this morning, uh, I read the sermon that Andrew gave last Easter as um, his very first sermon as pastor of this church. And although our circumstances have slightly changed over this year, the truth hasn't. So I would like to begin by reading some of the words that Pastor Andrew shared with you last Easter. And this is what he wrote. This morning, we arise from our death. We begin reading in verse 1, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. So his sister sent word to Jesus, And Lord, the one you love is sick. Pause there. Lord, the one you love is sick. It's no accident that this whole resurrection story begins with one who's experiencing significant suffering. And I know it's Easter and it's supposed to be a day of celebration and joy, but there are also many of you who are suffering right now. Many of you, perhaps even recently, have received the same difficult news that Jesus hears. The one you love is sick. Maybe for you, a family member or friend was diagnosed with cancer. Or maybe your marriage is dissolving right before your eyes and you're hanging on by a thread. Or perhaps you're facing uncertainty at work, unsure of how you will provide for your family in the coming days. And if that's you this morning, I want you to hear what Jesus says in verse 4. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Through this suffering, this trial, this death you are facing, whatever it may be today, Jesus says, hold on, have faith, take heart, for this sickness will not end in death. Well, I am claiming that last word for you, Andrew. You know, Jesus says to you, hold on, have faith. Take heart, for this sickness will not end in death. Woo! Praise the Lord! <laughs> now back to the story of Lazarus, because you know the Gospel of John is the only one that retells this story. And in the Gospel of John, this is the seventh miracle. The Gospel of John contains seven miracles and seven I am sayings. In other words, whatever Jesus says he is, whoever he claims to be, he always backs it up with signs and wonders and miracles. And this is no coincidence. Like, you know, just like the miraculous multiplication of the bread and the fish was an indication that Jesus was the bread of life, and just as the cure of the man born blind was an illustration of Jesus as the light of the world, so the resurrection of Lazarus points to him as the resurrection and the life. So let us pick up this story in verse 5. And I'm going to read a few verses and it will be on the screen. You can follow along. It says, so the sisters said one, oh, sorry, verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. 
On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. By the time that Jesus showed up in the story, Lazarus had been dead for four days. Now, verse 5 says that Jesus loved Lazarus so much that as soon as he hears that Lazarus is sick, he leaves everything he's doing and he rushes to help him and heal him. Ah, no. Actually, that's not what it says. It says that he stays put. He stays there for two more days. And what Jesus said wouldn't happen actually happens. Lazarus dies. All because Jesus decided to take his time. So Martha, of course, runs to meet Jesus as soon as she hears that he's coming by just to give him a piece of her mind. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, you're too late, Jesus. It's been four days and now everything is absolutely hopeless. Well, if you're anything like me or like Martha, you probably dislike waiting. I mean, who likes to wait for water to boil, you know, or for the baby's bottle to get warm enough? Oh, my goodness. Or how about uh, waiting for the green light when you're driving or waiting in long lines at Walmart? Or my favorite, waiting for your husband to finish with the bathroom. Yeah, (laughs) waiting is not easy for any of us. But, you know, Andrew and I find ourselves in a waiting season. And in the waiting season, some tend to grow tired, weary. Others tend to grow confused, bewildered. Others become angry, critical, and begin to grumble. We begin to doubt. But in the waiting, God is shaping us. God is testing us. He's refining us. And he is growing us. And so this morning, I just want to share with you three quick principles that God has been teaching us in this waiting season. The first one is this, with God. A waiting season is never a wasted season. You know, the truth is that waiting is not easy for anyone. Uh, But in the waiting, we often wonder, why doesn't God just do something about it? God is in the waiting. He is doing something about it, even when we cannot see. Perhaps you find yourself in a waiting season, just like we find ourselves in a waiting season. For some of you, it may be completely different than having received a difficult diagnosis. It may be a financial situation. For others, it may be a relational situation. A daughter who has walked away from God. Uh, A son who's making poor decisions. A marriage that is hanging on by a thread. An addiction that you can't seem to break. And you have prayed and prayed and prayed and nothing seems to be going quite the right way. And you have prayed and prayed and prayed and everything seems to be going from bad to worse. But you see, prayer is not about getting our way. Prayer is about surrendering our will. 
And it is this surrender that makes the waiting possible to endure in the first place. When Jesus prayed, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will but yours be done, he was stepping away from an escapist theology of suffering, which says that every Christian had to be a happy Christian all the time, devoid of problems, and filled with prosperity at every turn. He was also stepping away from an idealized, perhaps somewhat romanticized view of suffering, which hold many captive, like Peter, when he quickly said, even if I have to die with you, Lord, I will never disown you, only to do exactly that. Rather, by praying Jesus' prayer, not my will, but yours be done, we open ourselves to God's immeasurable possibilities. Just because God is not answering our prayer the way we want him to answer, or he's not answering them right now, it doesn't mean he's not going to answer our prayer. I once heard the, the, a pastor say that if God answered your prayer the way you expect him to answer, he would never have the opportunity to exceed your expectations. So what do we do if we find ourselves in a waiting season? How do we wait expectantly without losing hope? How do we handle our struggles in a way that contributes to outcomes with eternal significance? Well, let me tell you, we pray and we pray and we seek his face and we do not give up and we keep on hoping that better days will come and we keep believing and we keep on going and we surrender our will and we wait patiently for him to show up. Isaiah 40, 30 says, but those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Psalm 24, uh, 27, 14 says, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Oswald Chambers in one of my favorite devotionals said it this way, waiting for the vision that tarries is the test of our loyalty to God. Waiting is not easy, but with God, a waiting season is never a wasted season. The second principle that we have been learning is that with God, a painful season can bring about his perfect purpose. Let's pick up the story here in Lazarus on verse 38. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb it was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, Martha said, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Here in verse 38, we find that Jesus is deeply moved. And he himself is experiencing pain at the loss of his friend. You know, pain is an experience that we're all familiar with. Pain entered the world when sin entered the world. It's just a consequence of our human reality. And there might be days in which despair will threaten to disturb the quiet places of your mind. And discouragement might find its way into the cracks of a broken heart. 
But let me remind you of this. In each one of us is the seed of hope that God has placed within our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which can grow only by prayer. In fact, I submit to you this morning that the way by which a painful season can be turned into God's perfect purpose is through prayer. And Jesus is modeling it right here in this passage. He says, right after removing the stone, he begins to pray, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. He turns his eyes upward to God and speaks to the impossible. Lazarus, come out. And our prayers must do the same. We must speak to the impossible. Whew. Prayer does not decide when or how the answer comes. But prayer decides whether it will or not. As Andrew Murray says, between our impotence and God's omnipotence, intercession is the blessed link. I truly believe that prayer is the way to see the miraculous. I truly believe that prayer turns the impossible into the possible because prayer begets faith and faith begets more prayer. And when you least know it, God is telling you the exact same thing that Jesus told Martha. Didn't I tell you that if you believe, you shall see the glory of God. And it all begins with a faith that rises beyond what you are able to see in the natural. Although some people in the story wondered why Jesus had taken so long to show up. Why he didn't keep Lazarus from dying. Jesus had something completely different in mind. For his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. So this takes us toward the last principle that Andrew and I have been learning during this season. That though the struggle may be great, with God, the victory shall be greater. When I first flew from Sao Paulo to Chicago to attend Olivet Nazarene University as a student, the flight took about nine hours. And when I went back home to visit my parents, the same direct flight took about ten and a half hours. And I said to myself, well, what's wrong with this number? It's the same trajectory. It's the same distance. Uh, could it be that perhaps American pilots are a little slower than Brazilian pilots? <laughs> and then I realized it had nothing to do with who was um, piloting the aircraft, but everything to do with the winds. And you see, life is like that. There are times when the winds are in our favor, and so we move faster, just like flying from South America to North America. But there are other times in which the winds are against us, moments of loss, moments of brokenness, moments of difficulties, and we move slower. So what do we do then? Well, Martin Luther King said it so well in a sermon I read not long ago called Blasted Hopes, Shattered Dreams. He said, we must decide whether we will allow the winds of life to overwhelm us or whether we will journey across life's mighty ocean with our inner spiritual engines fully equipped to go on in spite of the winds. This refusal to stop, this courage to be, this faith to reach up, this determination to cling on to hope is nothing but God's resurrection power living in us. Those who have made this discovery can rest assured that victory is ours even in the middle of the struggle. Now I want you to take just a minute to pause right here and to reflect about the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us today. The stone was rolled away in Lazarus' resurrection story so that he could come out. But when the stone 
was rolled away in Jesus' resurrection. It wasn't so that he could come out. It was so that we could enter in. And in the same way that he rose victoriously, he invites us to join him in this victorious life. Perhaps you have come here this morning a little weary from the wait. Perhaps you came uh, this morning uh, wounded from various situations in life. Or maybe the struggle has been so great that you have lost sight of the victory that is yours. Maybe you tasted the resurrection power once back then, but you walked away from the Lord. And today the Spirit is telling you, do you want this resurrection power to go on in spite of the winds that come against you? So the invitation this morning is very simple. Do you want resurrection power in your life? Because I know Andrew and I certainly do. And so this morning, Andrew and I are going to come to the altar and ask the Lord that he will pour out his resurrection power upon us. And if you want to join us in that prayer, if you say, I also want and need resurrection power in my life today for whatever is dead in me, I want him to enliven it again then I'm going to invite you to come and join us. The altars are open. If there's too, um, too crowded, there's other altars in the back of the sanctuary and around, or you can use right there that your pews. But Pastor Cindy is going to come, and she's going to lead us in a prayer. And as we pray that God will pour out his resurrection power, we will wait expectantly for him to come.